This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the podcast that keeps you updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 468. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in once again. Stephen Fennec here. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, Apple versus Epic Games, we have a verdict. We talked to Nick Dandy, Foxtel's Group Director of Product Innovation, about the new IQ5 streaming set-top box and the alarming Google research that shows that one in three Australians have been hacked or scammed. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the new Ray-Ban glasses developed with Facebook that can record video. We check out the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 foldable smartphone, and we run our eye over the Belkin magnetic iPhone mount with face tracking. And we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, those that have been following the Apple v. Epic Games court case, there is a verdict. The, the, the verdict was handed down a couple of days ago, and it has shown that Apple has actually won a resounding victory here. They had nine of, their, of the ten claims ruled in Apple's favour. But it didn't go all Apple's way. They have been told they must allow Epic to allow payments from outside the App Store. That was the the centre of Epic's argument spurred from the, this, this complaint that uh, they weren't given the freedom to offer customers a payment method within the app to avoid Apple's 30% commissions. In fact, what, what Epic did uh, in about just over a year ago was put some secret code in the iOS app and the Google app that allowed that gave customers the option of 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 skirting the App Store purchase. So it actually offered the App Store price was higher than their own price through the iOS app. Naturally, Apple they found out about this and kicked them out of the App Store. As well as did Google, by the way, and a lot of people forget that that Google also booted Epic out of the Play Store because they tried to pull the same stunt with them. So we've come through; they've gone to court, and Epic's argument, though, was that Apple had a monopoly. Their allegation was that the company, and this is quoting them, was seeking to control markets, block competition and stifle innovation. So that, that was kind of their mantra, their, their, the reason they decided to, to go to court. The court, though, found that Apple was not a monopolist in any relevant market. In fact, US District Judge Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers said in her ruling, this is the quote that stands out for me, success is not illegal. Here's her quote. While the court finds Apple enjoys considerable market share of over 55% and extraordinary high profit margins, these factors alone do not show antitrust conduct. Epic Games failed in its burden to demonstrate Apple is an illegal monopolist. 
So what, what, what the case has done, it's actually validated the App Store model. Apps or, uh, Apple has always maintained that the App Store is built with this, the developer in mind, but also the customer in mind. So the customer has the safety of an in-app purchase, an app that's not going to be filled with malware, that's going to run properly, that's not going to give them any trouble or any security issues. And then the, the developer has access to all these customers and the price they pay is a 30% commission with those in-app purchases. So what what the, the court also found, though, was that Apple was entitled to charge commissions and they found that the, the existing agreement with developers in the App Store was lawful. Now, when, when Epic Games tried to do the back door here and tried to skirt this policy by adding this code within the Fortnite iOS game, that was trying to uh, allow players to buy in-game currency directly with its through its own payment system. And so Apple, of course, found out and swiftly booted them out of the App Store. And now what, what the court has found is that the Epic now has to pay damages to, to Apple to compensate them for those lost earnings in the, in the short period of time that Epic was uh, had introduced its own payment system within the iOS app. And that, that amount of money, would you believe, is $4 million. So it just goes to show how much money they're making through here. Play Store, as I said, also kicked Epic off its platform after doing a similar sneaky, trying to have that same code to allow direct payment from players to avoid paying that commission. The ruling that went against Apple, though, and this was, I think we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, Apple came to an, a settlement and agreed to allow developers to include external links or other payment methods outside the App Store. So the, the first ruling was that they had to allow to include external links or other calls to action that allow transactions outside the App Store. And they also, the second directive was they had to be able to allow developers to communicate with customers through points of contact voluntarily through account registration within the app as well. So they could still basically talk to them outside the app and they could also do business with them outside the app. So while this seems a small victory for Epic, that, that, that little directive, it's still, though, really cumbersome for players. I think Epic really wasn't taking the player, they didn't have the player in mind. Because you think about it, and you, you, you might play Fortnite yourself, your child might play. How it works is while you're in the game, that's when you want to purchase your stuff, your V-Bucks and all, all these other skins and other things you can buy. With this ruling, Epic are now able to set up a shop outside the App Store and give players the option of stocking up before or after they're playing the game or during the game, whether they pause the game or what they're going to do. But you think about what's going to happen now. The, the, the customer has to step outside, set up a payment system. So they've got to give their credit card to a game developer and create an account, register their details, all of that. And that is outside the protection of the App Store. So that, that was one of the big things that Apple was talking about in the lead-up to this decision was that the App Store was there to protect the developers but also the customers as well. 
So now developers, though, now have the right to go to that trouble. Whether customers will go to that trouble will say, okay, I'm going to inconvenience myself here and go buy my V-Bucks directly with you because I don't want you to give them 30% of my money. I don't think, personally, the players really don't care. The players just want to play. The players want to buy their V-Bucks, buy their stuff and keep playing Fortnite. Just, just on a side note, though, Apple was the only, the only beef, the only company Epic had a beef with, and this court action was only against Apple, despite the fact that the same commissions charged by Apple's App Store, so around thirty percent, are identical to the commissions charged on Sony's PlayStation Network and Microsoft's Xbox platform, and all of those also have a similar unified digital storefront. So it's the same setup, no matter where. Of course, a lot of players are on iOS devices, and Epic was seeing this money being directed this these commissions. But you know, you're playing an Apple on on an Apple product in an app store created by Apple. You know, you it's like it's like you, you know you you build a stadium, and the teams don't want to pay rent for when you want to play the, the your game in their arena. That's kind of what's happening here. So. That's sort of, sort of the closest to a similarity I could find. So Epic, uh, in this instance, they kind of had a small victory, but is it, a vi- is it a victory though? Apple, I think, came out, nine out of ten claims were upheld, and their app store structure and policies and, and even the commissions they charged was found to not, be law- to not be unlawful. They were also found not to be monopolists. So uh, Epic, it was an epic battle that they, they lost, unfortunately, but... Small victory in the in the concession that they allow are allowed to do business outside the app store, but how many people are going to do that? If you want to read the complete report and see all of those points that I spoke about, you can head over to techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. Next up, we're talking about the Foxtel IQ5. This is a sleek new streaming set-top box. They should have headlined this, Honey, I Shrunk the Set-Top Box. It is tiny. Anyone who's got an IQ3 and IQ4, the IQ5 is a third the size of those previous models. And it also has a detachable one terabyte hard drive. So it's pretty small. There's a photo of it on Tech Guide. That's my hand holding it in the main photo. That's just to illustrate, just to give this thing some scale because you need to really see it in scale to, to believe the size of it. It did need all the pictures that I saw were it sitting beside a TV. I thought I would add my hand and, and put it in there just to give you an idea of just how small this thing is. Now this is a, a new set top streaming set top box. So not only if you're a current customer with satellite or cable, you can still reconnect those, not a problem. But if you're new to Foxtel or you might be renting, you don't, you don't want to put cables in the, in the place where you're living, your landlord might not allow it, you don't want to put a satellite dish on your roof, you can now get it through your broadband connection. And not only that, the set-top box has a powerful enough processor to allow you to get the 4K channels, there's two 4K channels, and also to record. Now, Foxtel now is an existing streaming service, doesn't have all the channels as, Fox, as the full Foxtel package, but... Uh, Foxtel now doesn't have 4K and doesn't let you record. So this is the full 
Foxtel product through the IQ5. And who better to tell us about it than Nick Dandy, who's the Foxtel Group Director of Product Innovation. So we had a few questions that you guys sent us in after we published our story that we put to Nick Dandy when we spoke to him earlier. Hi, uh, Nick. Welcome to the show. Uh, Exciting news. The Foxtel IQ5 has been released. Tell us, sum up, how big a change is this for Foxtel customers? Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. It's a pretty big change, and at the same time, it can be perceived as a small one. I think from a new set-top box point of view, it's a really leading-edge set-top box. It's a much smaller design, and it has some other capabilities in the industrial design. But I think more importantly, it supports IP-only experience. So before we had to have a satellite dish or a cable, uh, Telstra cable connection, now you can get that great Foxtel IQ experience all streamed over the internet um, by your local Wi-Fi in your home. So with the box, you, you mentioned the IP, and so explain what that is. So this this has been optimised with, with a, I understand, a more powerful processor to be able to handle the sheer load of data and 4K quality content. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's a bespoke hardware design. Um, Foxtel builds our own boxes most of the time, if not all the time. And um, the CPU we use is a next-generation evolution from the IQ4. So it is a little bit faster, but it's not just the hardware capability. It's all of the software as well that we've designed to be able to take all of that great IQ experience, but also handle it all with IP streamed channels. So that means it's not just about discovering a VOD experience like you would get on Netflix or um, a similar product, but also streaming the linear channels and having that really seamless channel change experience of linear channels, as well as the ability to record IP channels, because that's what so many Foxtel customers are used to doing. Sure. Uh, okay, so I'm a Foxtel customer, okay? I'm, my readers are, are Foxtel customers. They've got a really nice big 4K TV and soundbar setup or multi-speaker system. What's the quality going to be like now for the experience? Is, is it going to be, is there Dolby Atmos, Dolby Surround, the quality of your 4K? Is it going to be better, the same, or how's it going to, be, how's it going to look? So for launch, the, the UHD streamed channels will be as good as a satellite UHD. So we're doing it at um, two different profiles. So depending on how good your internet bandwidth is, you need a minimum of 12 megabits per second to get 4K UHD sports or movies channels. Uh-huh. Um, and then it'll range right up to 18 megabits per second, which is really as good as the satellite quality. Now, in terms of the audio, we still haven't gone to the Dolby Atmos level yet. It is something we're looking at. Um, It's something that you need enough good content to um, have to be able to take advantage of, but it is something we'll continue to look at over time. So if I if if you I've got I'm a satellite customer. So if I can, if I connect this box to my existing satellite cables and to the dish, is the is that is it worth doing that? Is that going to be any improvement? Is it going to be the same as having it through my Ethernet or Wi-Fi? Yeah, look, I would say it's always slightly more reliable to be connected to the satellite dish. And that's because, as you know, in the home and also all the way back through IP networks, there's always occasional issues or bottlenecks where you might get the um, internet buffer or your, your internet speed drops down for short periods of time. So it doesn't happen very often, but it can happen. And for that sort of situation, you're always better off to have the satellite, which is almost a guaranteed gigabit per second to your home. Um, that said, it's a, it is a bit of a pain for people to have a satellite dish, and there's a lot of homes that don't have it and don't want it. And that's the beauty of the IQ5. You will get almost you'll get as good a streaming experience and 
almost, like so close, close to as good as good as Foxtel can provide anyway over the open internet, IP reliability of those same streams. And so now, as you said, this is going to be less barrier to entry now for customers. So no need to get book a technician and installation. This is like virtually like a plug and play out of the box. It's going to work for for the customer who just wants to stream the service. Uh, they they have the choice now of the IQ five, but there's also a little Foxtel logo on their television. So there is obviously still your Foxtel Now service. So how how are the customers going to distinguish between those? two services now? Yeah, I think if you just want to um, stream Foxtel content only in your own connected TV, you can absolutely subscribe to Foxtel now and do that. The advantage of the IQ5 is because it's our control device, we can help you, I guess, get the benefits of combined aggregated streaming. So you can actually get the benefits of finding the best Netflix and Foxtel and when we launch Prime Video and other apps on there all in one platform. And we'll also actually support recommendations, right? So we'll get quite a bit of complex, um, I guess, viewing history on you, and it'll help drive recommendations, things you can watch on on these platforms. And, of course, IQ5 can handle 4K. Foxtel now can't do that, can it? Correct. That's correct as well. You're spot on. Yeah, so and, at the and moment, you, you can't record either on Foxtel now. So the, the recording is still very important for a lot of customers, which brings you to the next, next question is the – the, the actual design of the box. So there's the detachable hard drive on the base. So does that does that mean that this is an optional extra for customers? Can they choose a box without the hard drive and then add it later? Or can they maybe down the track, maybe get a bigger hard drive uh, in the future? I think the short answer is the optionality gives us flexibility. So for launch, we're actually going to make sure every customer who takes an IQ5 also gets the hard drive. Okay. But if we were to fast forward 10 years, let's say, I think we'd all probably agree that there'll be a lot fewer people recording content, just the way the world's moved. We just don't know exactly when that transition will happen and how far. So I would say probably as early as next year, we'll start selling to customers the IQ5 without the hard drive. So you can have the choice if you want it with or without. And we can see where it goes from there. I suspect... A lot of the more traditional Foxtel customers will still want the hard drive to record both the Foxtel and the free-to-air channels. Or um, you'll find the newer customers coming on are happy just to get a combined streaming experience and won't, won't know about a hard drive and won't care about it. What really surprised me was just how small the box is. Like the IQ4 is is like three times as big as the IQ5. How much work went into getting this down to such a small size? Yeah, a lot, a lot, as you can guess. I think, um, look, it's always hard because we're, this is really our vision of the one box to rule them all, right? Yeah. It's got the satellite input, the free-to-air aerial put input. It's got to have Wi-Fi antennas on it, as well as having Ethernet ports, HDMI and the like. So it's actually more limited by this particular box by the number of outputs on the back of it. Once we manage through all outputs and inputs, I should say, once we manage through all of that, we got the circuit board as small as we possibly could. And then working with our internal and external industrial designers, we came up with a really modern chassis to take advantage of some of the, the I guess, functional elements. Like instead of having just some, some annoying venting sitting there, we actually made it a design feature on top to help, well, help with the cooling of the box so you can make it even smaller. Yeah, I noticed that, the venting on the top there. So the, so the, the is there a cooling fan in it or is that just a vent to let the hot air out to rise up out of the box? There's a fan in the hard drive, but not in the set-top box component, and it does help blow it through, both up through the um, hard drive and the set-top box itself. 
but otherwise the, the box itself you don't need it as much it will actually have its own like it just does need the cooling but the venting is sufficient for that and of course it's not just all about the hardware but also the the operating system and the menu system that that's also had an enhancement too uh, with a there's a what what is the uh, even more accurate recommendations and uh, because you watch this kind of algorithm running yeah there's several factors here actually um First of all, you touched on at the start, the ability to just plug and play this set-top box. So we had to design a guided setup flow that made it so easy for customers to pair their remote control, because it's obviously a Bluetooth remote to use voice, then also take you through your internet setup. If you've got a free-to-air aerial, take you through the free-to-air scan of your, of your local channels, all of those aspects of it. So it's a, a well and actually activate your box remotely. So we've got all of that built into a new guided setup flow on the set-top box. And then, of course, because you've got no, you've got the ability to have no hard drive. We had to think about a few features. I had, I guess, we had to accelerate them a little bit on our roadmap. So, for example, traditional Foxtel customers, if they find an on-demand title they'd like to watch, they can just click download, right, and it's there in their library to watch later. Well, if you've got no hard drive, you can't download it. So we had to accelerate adding things like watch list to the IQ experience, which mm-hmm. was quite new. You, you did touch on the recommendations a little bit, and really the way to think about that is. We've got this um, the framework in the UI to promote all sorts of content. And we've got the intelligence and brain in the recommendations at the back end. And as we develop more and smart, smarter and smarter algorithms, we'll slowly roll those out to customers where they'll start getting content prioritized horizontally in a particular carousel or rail. Or we'll have carousels on there like recommended movies for you, recommended TV shows for you. One coming soon you touched on is because you watched. All of yep. those will, will start to pop up there and customers will get more and more great content recommendations. Uh, just on the 4K content, currently what is there, two channels? So there's a 4K movie channel, there's a 4K sports channel. Is that right? That is correct. Yep. So what's what's the roadmap here? Is this box capable of handling even more 4K channels then in the future? It is capable of handling both more channels and streaming VOD in 4K. The biggest challenge we've actually got is this surprisingly not a huge amount of content produced in 4K UHD globally. So we're still sourcing a lot. We're trying to obviously do more ourselves. And I think you'll find we'll have more announcements next year on how we expand that 4K UHD content breadth. I've had a lot of questions from my readers already about the box and they're keen to get their hands on it. How So how is this going to be distributed? Will long-term subscribers get get a priority or how is it going to roll out? So Stephen, you might be well aware being on a tech podcast, there's been a real shortage globally of silicon, right? There's been people working from home, wanting to order Wi-Fi routers and modems, and actually the production of all hardware has been really, really challenged. So unfortunately, we've got limited supply to start with, just because we're, we're using similar Wi-Fi to get in high-end modems and phones and things like that. So to start with, we're really going to focus on people who are on legacy older boxes than the IQ3, because it's a much bigger step up for them, and mostly those on the cable platform. But over time, over the next few weeks and months, we'll start actually ramping up more and more comms customers on how they can get access to it. Fantastic. Well, Nick, appreciate your time talking to us today. And the IQ5, uh, I, I can just imagine the IQ6 is going to be tiny the way if you're going at this rate. <laughs> but uh, well done with, with the IQ5. Uh, I've already hooked it up at my place and enjoying it. So thanks again for joining us on the Tech Guide podcast. That's great to hear, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Well, Google has just released some research, pretty alarming actually what they've released here, that shows that one in three Australians have had a password hacked 
and one in four have been taken by a phishing scam. So this news, this is new research from Google, but the alarming part is that 60% of Australians are not, that I repeat, not trying to improve their online security. Google Australia says 42% of adults take deliberate steps to improve their online security, while only one in 10 rarely do, and a further 8% don't take any steps at all. Funny enough, it's younger Australians between 18 and 34 who are more likely than older Australians 50 plus to say they aren't taking these steps to improve their online security. That's that's shocking. But the biggest shock from the research was the large number of Australians who'd become victims online. 34% of adults, that's the equivalent of 6.6 million people, have had a password hacked or compromised. One in four Australians, 26%, that's the equivalent of 5.2 million people, have also been deceived with a phishing scam where, and in that scam, the cyber criminal has actually stolen personal or sensitive information. This is, a, this is alarming. We're, 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 it's an online world we're living in. And if you aren't prepared to take these steps, I've always said, it's not a matter of if something happens, it's a matter of when something is going to happen. The other, the other thing that came up in this research was uh, all about passwords and the security and sharing of high-risk passwords was also revealed to be a problem after it was found that 14% of Australians have shared a password with a family member or a friend and a further 6% have texted or emailed a password to someone. <laughs> so, well... You, have you emailed a password to somebody? All, all someone needs to do is intercept that password and and then there's, there's, uh, that's when the fireworks begin. Only 30% of adults say they have a different password for every online account. Now, I know that's really difficult to have that. No, no human is capable. You, you, on average, we've got like 50 online accounts. It's really difficult unless you have a password manager. We'll talk about those in a minute. More than one in 10 Australians, that's the equivalent of 2.8 million people, did not, did not know what two-factor authentication was. And a further 9% said they knew what it was, but never knew how to use it. So that's another issue there. Research has shown two-factor authentication. Two-factor authentication, if you're one of those people who don't know what it is, is when you enter your password and you are sent a code to your mobile number or email. Just to that's the two-factor authentication. For one factor authentication is password. The second factor of authentication is the code. So that it would make it would mean for someone to hack your account, they would not only need to know your password, but they'd also need to know your have your mobile phone or or know or have access to your email. Which that, you think of the chances of that happening is a lot lower than one-factor authentication, which is just guessing a password. It's Unfortunately, a lot of people have passwords that are 123456 or password, would you believe? I'm not joking. That, that's what people, because they, they don't want to complicate a password to remember. Yeah, but research has shown that two-factor authentication can help prevent phishing and scam attempts. So that's uh, 
that's nothing new there. Nearly half of Australians admit they don't look for the secure website symbol when purchasing something online. So there's two ways you can look at that. There's one with a little padlock in the in the address bar. And the other thing to look for is the HTTPS as well in the address. That means secure. The S means for secure. So there's a padlock and HTTPS. So if you're one of those people who don't know what to look for, that's uh, nearly half of adults, they don't even look for it. They know what it is, but they don't look for it. There's a difference. And nearly a third either don't know or can't recognise what the secure symbol means. So those who said they weren't taking steps to stay safe online say the, the main reason behind that is because they, they don't know what steps to take or they don't know where to start. That's according to 30% of those surveyed. So we have shared some tips. Google have come up with some tips. Create a strong, unique password for every account. Turn on two-step verification. That's two-factor authentication. Make sure site connections are secure. Always validate URLs and suspicious links. So double-check the URL by hovering over the link or pressing the, or long-pressing the text on a mobile. Double-check files before downloading. Now, if you do have internet security software, we recommend Norton 360. That's one of our sponsors on the show. Then you'll find that they've got your back. In fact, Norton 360 has a password manager. They've also got a VPN, uh, cloud storage. So if you don't have internet security, that's one move to improve your online safety then that's something you can do straight away. And of course, we recommend Norton 360. There's a lot of all those tips are online for you to check out. But look, we're, we're living in an online world, as I said, you really need to pay attention to this stuff. You really need to sort of do a bit of bit of stock taking of your, your online accounts and your security. Make sure that you don't become a victim. If you want to read more about that story, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Now, if you're an online gamer, you want the best performance while still helping to maintain your computer's security. And that's exactly what Norton 360 for Gamers offers. The patented game optimizer technology can help maximize gaming performance while still helping to maintain the level of security you've come to expect from Norton LifeLock. Game Optimizer can free your PC from power-hungry programs running in the background that eat up your system's resources, helping you get more performance out of your rig. Whether you're a hardcore gamer or just a casual player, Norton 360 for Gamers helps provide multiple layers of protection for your devices, game accounts and digital assets. Norton 360 for Gamers also includes features that help protect against cyber threats, including malware and webcam takeovers. If you want to help ensure all the available computing power of your system is allocated to the game for maximum performance, while still helping to maintain maximum protection, then put Norton 360 for Gamers on your team. Listeners of the Tech God podcast will receive a 50% discount to a year's subscription of Norton 360 for Gamers by using the promo code TECHGUIDE when they visit au.norton.com forward slash techguide. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. We're kicking off the Tech Guide reviews with a pair of sunglasses, the Ray-Ban Stories. These are smart glasses developed in association with Facebook. 
And what makes them smart? Well, they're a camera as well. You take a close look. There are two 5-megapixel cameras on either side of the glasses. So this means that you can take instant photos and videos. Videos can run for up to 30 seconds. So you can capture those moments while yourself staying in the moment. Think half the battle of whenever you want to try capture some content, you might be somewhere somewhere watching a performance or a concert or at a game or whatever. You The, the act of you pulling out a phone and, and hitting record and looking through this small screen on your device means you're not actually in the moment. You're not witnessing the moment. What Facebook is saying, in, who, who teamed up with Ray-Ban to create these glasses, is that by wearing these glasses, it's seeing and recording what you're seeing. And so rather than you having to pull out a device and go to the trouble of hitting record on a video, the there's a tiny little button on top of the sunglass so you can still be looking at what you want to record and be able to capture that moment. So you, you look up, be present in the moment without having to focus on controlling another device to capture the video. Now, the glasses pair to your smartphone via the new Facebook View app. It, it connects via Bluetooth, and the app is, is where the videos are stored, where you can uh, share the content from that app. You can download it to your camera roll, share it on social media, share it with family and friends. And when you're shooting video or taking photos, a small white light illuminates on the front of the glasses. This tells people around you that you're capturing content, that you are recording it's not a red light normally when you're recording a red light sort of shows up red would have been a lot more visible in this instance it's a little white light which i think if you're outdoors uh, in the sun you might not even see that you might not even know that it's on so that that was an issue that was raised last week when these were announced was that is this an invasion of your privacy if if you can't tell if someone's recording you wearing what you think and what look like a regular pair of sunglasses. They come in three different styles. The Wayfarer, the very famous shape there, round and meteor, and they're available in five different colours. Now, on the audio side, they've also got built-in Bluetooth and a three-microphone array, so you're able to listen to your favourite music or your podcast. Hopefully, this podcast you might listen to through your Ray-Ban glasses. Or take your calls. So the you, you for, from when your phone's connected to the glasses, you can talk and and be heard on the call. Now you, I remember a few years ago, we tested out the Bose frames. The Bose frames were just purely an audio product. They were glasses. They couldn't shoot video. They but they could. They had speakers built into the arms, and they could also allow you to take your phone calls. I remember walking down the street wearing the sunnies talking on the phone and, and if someone was looking at me and they honestly thought I was talking to myself. They didn't realise that the glasses were my microphone as well as my speakers. Normally if someone's talking on the phone, they've got something in their ear like earphones, AirPods, whatever. But in this instance, I had nothing in my ears and the guy thought I was just talking to myself. And so expect that, that kind of reaction if you're going to make, make and receive calls through the Ray-Ban stories as well. So uh, be prepared for that. Now, they do have a hands-free function too. So you can say, hey, Facebook, take a photo, or hey, Facebook, take a video, and it will do it. 
So you can don't even need to reach up. There's a little button on the right arm of the of the glasses. One click to record, another click to stop recording, or you can just let let it run out after thirty seconds. So uh, that's an easy way to do it. The Facebook View Companion is available for iOS and Android users, and creates a library of your content that you record, but also gives you these cool tools to edit your content as well. So you might want to stitch some things together before you share it on social media or with family and friends. So you can share to Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, uh, Messenger, or any other app that you want to, uh, and, and you're away. Now, the glasses start, they're priced at 449 bucks. which you think about how much you'd be paying for a pair of Ray-Bans anyway, the, the cost of having cameras on board is only slightly more expensive than just non uh, the non-smart glasses as well. So now you're in a position where you can record the things you do every day, whether you're riding your bike or walking your dog or you might be you know having a great round on the golf course. You might be riding your bike. My video on Tech Guide, I was just riding an electric scooter up and down the street. And it just showed the first-person view. So it's not quite like GoPro quality in terms of stability and, 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 and video quality, but it's just another example of what you could use these for. So it might be something you might be out for a jog or, or you might you know, be walking the dog, as I said. So there's all sorts of things you can use these for. You might be somewhere, you might be at the football or some, you might meet someone famous. You might want to use them for that as well. But uh, the, the, the light on the front, is it, is, it a strong enough, is it strong enough for people to know that they're being recorded? I think that's going to be something we'll be discussing, I've got a feeling, uh, in, the, in the not too distant future. Now, the, the microphone technology actually is not too bad. There's beamforming technology. There's a bit of background noise suppression as well. So the video quality, it, it does take stable video and records sound as well, so sound and vision. Uh, and they can be charged like a pair of wireless earphones. So the case is the batteries, is the charger. So they, while they sit in the case, they're charging. And then, of course, you need to charge the case as well. So if you've done that for earphones, it's the same deal for the Ray-Ban Stories glasses as well. Starting at 449 there are 20 different style combinations among the three different styles and colours. They can be purchased online or in select retail stores across Australia. If you want to find out more, check out our story and our video. Watch the video. You can see it all at techguide.com.au. Now, last week, we brought you our review of the Galaxy Z Fold 3. And as promised, we've got the review now of the Galaxy Z Flip 3. So we've now covered both of the new foldable smartphones from Samsung. The Galaxy Z Flip 3 is the smaller and more affordable of the two. Now, this is a, the same foldable family as the Z Fold 3 but totally different from the Z Fold 3. The Z Fold 3 is for your phone fanatic. Phone is everything. This is more your casual style, design, appreciating user who wants a big screen when they need it, but wants to be able to put it away when they don't and put it away, fold it in half, and then put it away. 
So it has 6.7-inch display at 120 hertz too, 120 hertz display. So it looks and feels like a regular smartphone. That 120 hertz refresh rate really does make a difference when you're viewing, you know, playing games, viewing videos. A little bit more of a smoother graphics performance. It does, it does, if you know what to look for, you can pick it up. The screen has a 22 by 9 aspect ratio, so it's really long and narrow. And what that does, it makes it easy to hold in one hand. It's really uh, easy to grip. Uh, and but what you think you can't do with a regular smartphone is fold it in half. Uh, fold it. I, I love it when you can you can set put in the settings. You can answer when you unfold it, and you can hang you can close it to hang up. I reckon that's really cool. So rather than hitting end on your call, just snap it shut. That's really satisfying. Being able to uh, hang up your call with that. Now the phone is made like the Fold Three out of armor aluminium, so it's stronger, a lot more rugged than last year's model. It's also water resistant, so. Any doubts about this being too fragile, you can forget all that because this stronger and water resistance, I think there's a lot of people who might have been on the fence a bit hesitant uh, about that, but now I think the the fact that it is stronger and water resistant might have removed any last doubt they had about jumping into a foldable device. Um, of course, the foldable screen is, I think if you're new to the phone and most people would be because not the, the market is growing. It's not massive yet. But that's a novelty. Having a screen that folds in half, you'll think, wow, this is incredible. And look, the novelty doesn't even wear off. It is. It still fascinates me to this day that I can fold the phone in half. Now, the, there is a crease that's visible and you can feel it when you're scrolling your finger up and down the screen. But what, when, once your content is on the display, you're not, you can't see anything. You're, you're absorbed in your content. So don't think that all you're going to see is a fold even when there's a video running or you're looking at a website or using an app. That's not the case at all. Uh, there's an there's not an in there's no in-screen fingerprint reader for obvious reasons. This is a foldable display, so I don't think they can have it make it a foldable as well as an in-screen fingerprint reader. So they've decided to put the the fingerprint reader on the side button. So the power lock button is actually the the thumbprint as well, the the fingerprint reader as well. And you you know what your your thumb naturally sits on the button anyway when you're holding it. So I thought that was uh, that was a really smart thing to do. Yeah, there is the hinge has a thing called flex mode, and it's it's flex mode because there's the hinge can stay open at any angle you want. So it's just really testament to the to the quality of that hinge. You can sit it open, lay it flat, close it completely, and any other position in between. And so what flex mode allows you to do is to use it for your selfies. So if you're really into your selfies, you want to frame yourself up properly, what you do is open up the phone to 90 degrees, so it's like a, like a right angle, and when the camera's on, it detects that the phone is in that mode, puts the screen, so your viewfinder is the top half of the screen, and allows you then hands-free to be able to position yourself. So you can put this on a surface or you know, the roof of your car, wherever you want to set up the angle, and all you need to do to activate the shutter is to hold up an open palm. So the, the camera recognizes your open palm and gives you a, a three-second countdown to take your selfie. And the results are amazing. I think if the, the, the main restriction for taking a good selfie is how far away you can stretch your arm to fit in what you want to fit in and to frame yourself up. But now with flex mode, you, it's a hands-free selfie. So uh, I think a lot of people will be attracted to that feature. So uh, if you love a selfie... The, the Z Flip 3, I think, will be your new best friend. Now, just on the camera, there are two 12 megapixels on the rear panel. 
uh, the the ultra wide and wide angle, 10 megapixel front facing camera inside the display. So quality is good. I said the same thing for the Fold 3 last week. Quality is nowhere near as good as iPhone, Galaxy S21. They are cameras that can make phone calls. This is a foldable phone with a good camera. So the camera, if camera is the number one reason you're buying this phone, you may want to reconsider. And don't get me wrong, takes nice photos, impressive enough to share on social media. No one's going to say, what, what, what's up with this photo? It's still good photos, just not as, as good as, the other, as those other models that I mentioned. So just keep that in mind. But overall, still take impressive images, just not as good as those other models. Uh, on the battery side, the Flip 3, I was impressed. It actually did really well. Day and a half I usually got, even as my daily driver, was, it was pretty miserly in terms of power use. It does have 15-watt fast charging and 10-watt fast wireless charging when it is time to recharge again. It is dual SIM, uh, so two SIMs it can handle. Unfortunately, no expandable memory. Same deal with the Z Fold 3. No more expandable memory there. So, um, yeah, not too bad. But you know what? The Galaxy Z Flip 3 is a really fun phone to use. If you're thinking of taking the plunge into the smartphone foldable market, then this would be a great choice. It, it's priced from $1,499, available in a few colours, black, cream, I had the cream model. Uh, there are a few others, uh, as well as a lot of accessories as well. But what I haven't mentioned is the front screen. The front screen now is a lot bigger and also a lot more useful. Last year, the front screen was like the size of my fingernail. It was tiny. You could, but you could barely read your read your the time on it. Well, now the front display is like four or five times bigger than that previous display, and it now allows you to see your notifications, see who's calling, control your media. So there's a lot more you can still do even with the phone closed. So that that that's a huge improvement there as well. The Galaxy Z Flip 3 from Samsung starting at $1,499, which, you know what, puts it up there in that sort of flagship range, and it's a foldable phone. Uh, anyone who gets this in their hand, they'll be really impressed. I've done a video on it as well, so give me some love on my YouTube channel. I'll have embedded that video on our story on Tech Guide as well, so be sure to hit play on that one, and you'll be able to read all of that and watch the video at techguide.com.au. Moving along, we're going to talk about the Belkin magnetic phone mount with face tracking. Now, this is a battery-operated mount that uses MagSafe. So it has a base. You put three AA batteries in to power it. So no need to recharge. There's no rechargeable battery or anything in it. You put your AA batteries on board. And it has a stand with a MagSafe mount. So if you own an iPhone 12 and future iPhones, I'm sure we'll have MagSafe, you'll be able to attach your phone securely and precisely using the MagSafe connection. So you can either connect it in portrait mode or in landscape mode. And when you then pair the Belkin mount app to from the phone to the mount, you are then able to shoot video and it'll keep your face in the center of the frame. So I've done a video to de demonstrate this as well. So watch that. And what I've done is I've, I've run the video of me. I'm filming myself filming me. And in the same frame, you can see the video that, that was created 
using the mount. So the, the video that I shot and the video of me shooting the video, confusing I know, it is on my YouTube story, on my review. That'll give you a greater appreciation at A, the quality of the of the Belkin, uh, how the face tracking, but also too you can see it in action at this very, very same time. So uh, this works really well. If you, you think about the sort of content that people are creating now, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, video content is, is just booming. And so there are a lot of people who want to try to create those videos that they want to go viral on TikTok, on Instagram Reels, all those platforms. So this gives you an opportunity now to be able to stay in the frame if you are moving about. It does keep you, does a really good job of keeping you in the middle of the frame. It does move to accommodate your, you where you've gone and does keep you centered. So if you're keen on creating that interesting video content, this is terrific. The app will also link directly your video directly to Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, or you can just open up the camera and then save it in your camera roll as well if you don't want to record directly into those platforms. Now, a couple of things I need to point out here. It does use MagSafe technology but it won't charge your phone. It only uses MagSafe to hold the phone securely in place. It won't charge your device. The other question I've been getting as well is, will this work with FaceTime or Zoom and other video conferencing apps? Unfortunately, the answer to that is no. Because this needs to run the Belkin Mount app, it can only work with your camera. So it can't power, one app can't power another app. So when you're using FaceTime, that's another app. When you're using Zoom, that's another app. When you're using the camera, that's a built-in feature of the phone, the mount can, can, can use that. So unfortunately, you can't use this for your video conferencing or FaceTime. It would have been great if you could, and you never know, there might be a software update that allows it, but for now, it won't work, unfortunately. But still, does shoot some tremendous video, keeps you in the middle of the frame, and uh, produces great results for social media or however you want to use it. And the good news is too, it's only seventy nine ninety five, which I think is really affordable for what you're getting and what it can produce, how it can help you create this much higher quality video, that's for sure. The Belkin magnetic phone mount with face tracking, $79.95. You want to see it in action and read our story, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. You're listening to Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, work, gaming, video calling and more? And what happens if you're doing all of that at once? When you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Are you ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. All your tech questions answered. This is the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk brought to you by our good mates at Belkin. We just spoke about the Belkin magnetic mount with face tracking. Check that out. But if you're after other things like cables, batteries to charge your phone, little uh, holders for your air tags, Belkin has them all. Belkin.com forward slash AU. Check them out. A question we often get, uh, especially from parents and, and friends who are giving away their old phone. 
there is a method. You can't just hand over your phone. You really need to sign out of all your accounts and wipe the phone. So sign out accounts first, then wipe the phone. If you just wipe the phone without signing out of your accounts, including your iCloud accounts, some Android accounts, some Google Gmail accounts, they might still be hanging around. And for you to put your credentials into the phone, you may run into, you may run into some trouble. So the way to do it, if say for example, I got an email that a, you know a friend was going to give away their phone to another friend, and they wanted to know what to do. So the what what you should do is if you're an Android user, go in and sign out of all of your accounts. So go into the settings, and there should be a, a setting called accounts. So you'll be in one place. You'll be able to do things like sign out of your Facebook account, Twitter account, Gmail accounts. WhatsApp account, all in one place, you can sign out of everything. Once you've done that, then do the factory reset. Reset the whole thing like it's brand new out of the box. If you don't sign out of some of those accounts, there may be some issues for the next user. If you're an iPhone user, all you need to do is sign out of your iCloud account. So there is an Apple IU, there's an Apple ID and a password that's that's on the phone. So go to the top of your settings, top, tap on your name at the very top of the settings and sign out of your account and it'll then say remove your mailbox your contacts all of those things remove all of that and then all you need to do after that is reset the phone so erase all content and all settings and then you will have a either your son or your daughter or your friend will be really happy to receive your old device That is our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you need to find out anything else, uh, everything we've spoken about, of course, is at techguide.com.au, but please feel free to head to the website. Watch our videos too. We really appreciate your support with those. If you want to get in touch with us as well, uh, hit us up, info at techguide.com.au, or if you want to be particularly bold, hit the Ask Stephen icon on the homepage, and that will also pop up an email that you can fill out and send to me. We want to give a big shout out and big thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family and your devices safe online. Please support the companies that support the Tech Guide podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with another show next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. 